Welcome to the Governance Roundtable of the Ostrom Workshop, where we work together to better understand and manage common challenges facing our communities and the world. I'm Scott Shackelford, and I have the honor of being the Executive Director of the Ostrom Workshop. This is a relatively new series that's designed to highlight the groundbreaking work being done by scholars affiliated with the Ostrom Workshop at Indiana University. The Ostrom Workshop, named for Eleanor Ostrom, who won the Nobel Prize in Economics in 2009, and for her husband, Vincent Ostrom, helped demonstrate the importance of building trust and community to sustainably manage shared resources. In so doing, they challenged the conventional wisdom of the time and helped usher in a new wave of research grounded in empirically verifiable fieldwork. Today, we'll be speaking with Professor Eric Jardine. Um, Professor Jardine is an assistant professor of political science at Virginia Tech and a senior fellow at CIGI, as well as an affiliate at Connectivity Risk. His uh, research focuses on the misuse of the dark web and quantifying cybersecurity risk. He's also the author of Look Who's Watching, Surveillance Technology, and Trust Online. He just gave an outstanding colloquium um, in the uh, colloquium series this past uh, Monday, February 7th. So I'd encourage you to check it out, which was entitled Huzzah! Ransomware, Externalities, Cost Internalization, and Security Investment Intentionality. Eric, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you very much, Scott. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Likewise. And hey, I, I thought uh, we'd start just with kind of a, a background question. Um, uh, and you covered it a little bit in the colloquium yesterday, but it just kind of got me thinking to learn a bit more about, um, you know, what got you interested in delving into this field of, you know, cybersecurity policy, given your background training um, in political science and what you're doing today. What was the, was there, was there an event? Was there a driving force or was it kind of just a series of lurking questions that you wanted to tackle um, in this space in particular? Sure. It was more or less random serendipity. <laughs> so I was a trained political scientist, as you mentioned, and um, had kind of an inkling toward philosophy and history. And so the work that I had done up to and including the end of my dissertation and my PhD had nothing to do with the internet, nothing to do with cybersecurity, nothing to do with anything in the digital environment whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, but I ended up afterward, after graduation, in a position that requ that required security research, but with a digital focus. Mm -hmm. uh, so cybersecurity, not in a nuts and bolts technical sense, but in a sort of broad governance sense, mm -hmm. internet governance, again, in a broad governance sense. And it was sort of falling into that position that uh, it led to a sparked interest. And essentially, once I started learning about the space, mm -hmm my degree of interest just continued to ratchet it up. And it's kind of exemplified, I'd say, by a digital artifact that remains on my desktop that I moved yeah. from laptop to laptop over time, yeah. um, which is essentially a half-written draft of my old stuff. And so it was a paper, it was gonna look at whether fighting multiple conflicts had any sort of correlation with the outcome of any given conflicts and sort of notion that maybe resource constraints. And so you may be unable to wage multiple wars mm -hmm. at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. um, and it's half done. And every now and then I, I pivot back, I look at it, you know, sometimes <laughs> pat myself on the back, like this was going to be an okay paper. And then I close it again and I return back to the other stuff because um, the degree of interest that has been, had been sparked by that sort of random sequence of things was so high that mm. I'm here now and I'm not going back. 
Absolutely. It's it's funny the role that serendipity plays, isn't it? <laughs> it's <Absolutely>. underappreciated. <laughs> Massively underappreciated. And, you know, the, the best advice you could probably give somebody is prep yourself to take advantage of serendipity. And so in my case, the training in political science was useful from a governance and policy angle. Mm-hmm. And the training in methodology, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of PhD programs include, mm-hmm. quantitative methodologies in particular, although it's not exclusive mm-hmm. to that mm-hmm. approach, um, meant that I was able to quickly launch projects that were distinct in the wider sort of cybersecurity space mm-hmm. that were still valuable. Um, and so, you know, essentially the program as maybe if it's good programs sort of prepped me for the opportunity and then I took mm-hmm. advantage of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's amazing all the different ways you can, you know, mix these methods and deploy them um, in so many fields, including fields like cybersecurity, which still are in need of such fundamental research to answer some of these core basic questions. Now, including one, we kind of danced around a little bit in the colloquium, which I'd love to hear your thoughts on. And that's, you know, are we experiencing, are we seeing you know, an ongoing market failure, you know, when it comes to cybersecurity. And as you pointed out in your paper, you know, individuals at least seem to be, you know, setting up and taking notice of certain types of cyber attacks like ransomware, which just seems to be, you know, not to oversimplify, frankly, scarier than some other garden variety cyber attacks. But are do you feel like we're seeing, you know, firms likewise internalize costs more effectively related to ransomware than other kinds of attacks and maybe push against as a result this uh, narrative of a market failure, which means that, of course, we would need, in other words, a bigger role for government to help rectify it. Have you been kind of thinking about that, that bigger question as you've been researching this? I have, yeah. And I think it's, it is common to hear that markets for security fail. I think that that is an empirically sort of demonstrable outcome. Mm-hmm. And we know the conditions of market failure and externalities like I talk about in my paper are one of them when mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. um, negative externalities, for example, from pollution, you need usually mm-hmm. government intervention or some sort of pricing scheme to internalize costs to the polluter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, cybersecurity would be very similar to that. Um, there are other conditions, obviously, that are also well-known. So situations of monopoly can lead to under-provision. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, public goods, which is sort of broad omnibus term for things like defense and security, would also be subject to under-provision. So we have a lot of these classes of failure. Mm-hmm. And I think the – so I think the general point and the specific point might diverge, though, because if you were to say, yes, markets fail, you then have to say, as, I, as we were looking at in the paper – well, do they fail every time for every type of attack or for every type of firm? Mm-hmm. And our point in the paper suggests is basically to suggest that, well, yes, but the market failures have boundary limits that in our case, we're sort of saying are somewhat dependent on what kind of cybersecurity incident you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Our point of contrast is ransomware data breaches. So being an individual victim of a data breach, so you get a notification letter is going to have a different cost internalization profile to say being an individual victim of ransomware and we sort of demonstrate how one leads to greater intentionality that being ransomware than the other but i think if you scaled up and looked at say corporate actors or something like that um ddos attacks as a cyber incident are a pretty good example of a market that in no way i think fails Mm -hmm. you have content delivery networks or cdns they're providing significant protections for websites of every type, servers of every type. And the implication of that is essentially that despite DDoS attacks being all over the place in practice, we never see them. Mm -hmm. And you hear about these blips that are sizable, where essentially 
the market reaction is too slow given the malicious actor innovation like you find with like Mirai botnet taking down dyne and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, but generally speaking that market works great people mm-hmm. pay for cdn services their websites stay up mm-hmm. everybody's happy so i think we have kind of a layered reality where in general terms markets fail all the time in the security space mm-hmm. and in practice there's probably a lot of su- nested situations in which markets are not failing and it's parsing those for government that i think is a useful thing to do because it suggests mm-hmm. sometimes you need to regulate and sometimes don't mm-hmm. on. yeah which which gets us thinking you know a little bit about you know all the different circumstances and forms that 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 regulation can can take, as well as the role of um, you know self governance of, of of community norms. In other words, a lot of the work that the workshop is is known for. And I'm wondering, you know, as you've progressed throughout your academic career, how you've how you've kind of thought about um, the work of the Ostroms, you know, in particular, as as well as the workshop generally, and contributing to some of these you know balancing acts around thinking about you know, the, the public good of cybersecurity, or as you were saying, it kind of depends on the problem, depends on the level. In some ways, we're dealing with, you know, private goods like internet connected devices. We're dealing with club goods. We're dealing with different online uh, communities that are uh, d- establishing some of their own guidelines. So there's there's a lot of issues, a lot of levels, which is one reason that keeps me coming back to it. Like you, Eric, I think it's fair to mm-hmm. say, but I'm wondering if you could just reflect for a moment on on how you feel like, you know, the Ostrom's uh, work and the workshop generally has, has, co- has contributed or could contribute more and perhaps even better um, at, to these vexing, you know, cybersecurity and internet governance questions that you're dealing with. For sure. And I think for me, the most applicable sort of lesson to come out of Ostrom's work mm-hmm. is the, this notion of distributed or decentralized um, provision of public goods mm-hmm. that you can correct for these sorts of market failures um, that should be intractable under certain con- scope conditions in a distributed way. And I think that those lessons have, you know, there's adjustments required because you're dealing with a space that lacks, say, like the territoriality of uh, fisheries that might otherwise be able to find limits to depleting commons and stuff like that. But nevertheless, the lessons might apply Mm -hmm. and they are um, interesting because I think not only, um, well, they're hopeful, Mm -hmm. I'll phrase it that way, because not only does it suggest that um, a distributed or decentralized network of actors could address these issues. Um, it also is um, hopeful in the sense that it means the reality of what we probably need in order to actually obtain better security is possible. Because as we talked about a little bit yesterday, I think the the role of government in cybersecurity is plagued by two problems mm-hmm. at minimum, if not more. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is a observational problem. So mm-hmm. they don't see every device. And so their ability to provide security at, for my laptop um, mm-hmm. either is impossible because they don't see it or requires them seeing it, which opens up a whole range of additional issues that mm-hmm. a lot of people would probably prefer uh, we avoid. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a computational problem overlaid on top of that, which is just like economies in general, single centralized actors have finite computational resources and where will they spend their cognitive efforts and computational efforts in terms of deciding when and where to reallocate resources. Those are typically better done in a, those sorts of computational problems that are say society-wide are better usually handled by mm-hmm. distributed systems. Mm-hmm. And so 
Um, not only would you probably not want government on your laptop, even if they were, they may not have the sort of computational bandwidth to actually do anything effective mm -hmm. with that observational capacity, other than maybe after the fact. Mm -hmm. And so the Ostrom's works are showing up the possibility of correcting market failure in a distributed way mm -hmm. basically means maybe we don't need government to do all that. Mm -hmm. And so there still is a role, a regulatory role, a framework role, uh, a fine role, especially if you're talking with about uh, say corporate behavior, something like that, like uh, the ability to penalize. But yeah, there's there's a hopeful message in there mm -hmm. for cybersecurity that I think is is quite important to take out. And then the, the trick, obviously, and this is has not been the, the primary focus of what I've done, but the trick is of course translation that one environment into the other because there are differences. And uh, I was wondering if you reflect just a little bit on how how your current work on on ransomware fits into your overarching, you know, research agenda. So, you know, looking ahead for the next, you know, five, 10 years, even, what are some of the big questions that you're hoping to be able to tackle? To your question, in terms of that <laughs> reflection, my, uh, you know, my current work mm -hmm. kind of spans two areas um, mm -hmm. such that I almost wear different hats depending on who I'm mm -hmm. talking to. So I have one stream of things that's very much oriented towards um, the dark web mm -hmm. or the dark net and mm -hmm. what I would sort of think of as um, the uh, movement of what were traditionally offline crimes into an online environment. Mm -hmm. So there's several things like drug-related exchange and crimes on dark net marketplaces, um, have a piece on the closure of child abuse content sites. Um, so you have these, these forms of criminality that have always existed, but they kind of got ported over and potentially in some instances amplified by the sort of dark web technologies, which is sort of a suite of things that provide for publisher and reader anonymity. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other side, which is more traditionally cybersecurity, but with sort of a bit of a governance and economics lens. So like the piece presented yesterday on ransomware exposure. And these obviously interact because ransomware often uses um, cryptographic technologies for payment or mm -hmm. darknet sites for drop sites, these sorts of things. Uh, so these aren't hermetically sealed trajectories. They're kind of mutually constitutive, both in the world and in my own research mm -hmm. itself. And, you know, I've never been one to think particularly long term when it comes to these things, because I tend to um, I tend to have so many things moving at once in the short run that I more or less focus my efforts there and have yet to sort of hit that wall where all of a sudden I'm like, huh, I have nothing to do. Um, if I had to sort of speculate on where things might go in the future, I, I would imagine they'll continue along the lines of sort of fleshing out um, some of the economics of these things, because mm -hmm. uh, that is sort of an underlying area of training and area of interest for me. Mm -hmm. um, and where that remains long run tractable is that as technologies change, often you find changed incentives. So, you know, if we were to move to like a web three type environment, mm -hmm. um, that changes a host of incentive structures for actors across the board. And so then you've got a whole host of new, new problems to look at, mm -hmm. you know, if, if quantum emerges and I've never done a ton of work, um, on quantum, but if quantum mm -hmm. computing were to emerge in real terms in the sort of doomsday scenario that cryptographers talk about, there's a whole range of things that emerge, including one that I'd I've heard, I heard about from someone doing cryptographic work at Microsoft and they had never thought of, which was essentially, it's trivially 
cheap to store information at the moment, but prohibitively costly to break the encryption on that information and to gain access to it. But what it implies, if you think of quantum computing as a five, 10 year out technology, is that you store it for five to 10 years at a trivially cheap price, and then you decrypt everything reaching back into the his into past mm-hmm. in the past. And so there may be in like in a in geopolitical terms, like these emergent um, geopolitical events in five to ten years when quantum becomes real, because there'll all of a sudden be transparency about things that had happened previously mm-hmm. that all when you find out about all of a sudden there's diplomatic issues there and so forth. Mm-hmm. Economics is going to get upset um, mm-hmm. at the level of economies individuals might be caught up in these things. So there's all these sorts of changes to the technological landscape that bring with them changing incentives and changing problems and changing problems. So I think my, you know, my general approach is going to remain relatively consistent. Um, but what I look at will evolve with the tech for now. I, you know, I think the issues in the dark web and issues to do with, uh, cybersecurity more classically defined are kind of eating up my time in a very fun way. And I'm happy with that. Um, but who knows? You know, the dark web could get. I hesitate to say shut down because there's very. Mm-hmm. It's a robust decentralized system, and that's going to be really hard to do. Um, but it could get more meaningfully challenged across multiple jurisdictions than it is currently, and that would change, in some pretty core ways, what I would do in terms of research relative to that tech. And then ransomware is probably not going away either. But there may be a new attack modality that comes out. It's kind of interesting to look at, or new defensive techniques or most absolutely yeah it's, it's just incredible even even just over the last 10 years that i've been researching this stuff i mean it's a different world and that i think that's that's part of the fun right we're seeing governance evolve we're seeing the tech evolve in in real time and we're just starting to get the first inklings for you know core questions like regime effectiveness like is anything we're doing now actually playing out in the way that we were hoping or not so that's why your work is so vitally important eric and, and we thank you so much for sharing it with us today thanks thanks for being here my pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thanks to everybody at the Austrian Workshop for organizing and hosting and all the rest. Always fun to be around the crowd. It's It, it was our pleasure. Um, and thank, thanks, everybody, for listening. That's it for this episode of the Governance Roundtable. The views expressed are those, of course, of the participants and not necessarily shared by Indiana University. For more information on the Ostrom Workshop, check out ostromworkshop.indiana.edu. All of our events are open to the public and are also available these days uh, via Zoom and YouTube. Until next time, we hope you can come grow with us again soon. Thanks very much.